How to create a glitch, the tree of life. It is apparent to me that thoughts, and more precisely the systems which we build upon them, are nothing more than branching flora etched into the canopy of the unconscious, through which we invite the passage of further growth. And in fact, this flora, such as it is, contains within it the seeds of the flora which came before. Consciousness being nothing more than merely the attention created by the sustenance afforded by the roots of this majestic tree. I refuse to accept that the systems upon which we have constructed our civilization are indispensable. I have seen too much evidence that these systems are in fact arbitrary, however much they are appendages of modernity. So, I ask you the reader to ask yourself, why is it that some thoughts are dismissed and forgotten to the dustbin of history, while others find purchase in the mind, in the presumed ascent of humanity? There is an external force at work underlying the consensus, a flux or an erosion. What is the nature of this force? What does it want? I do not know for certain whether it is alien, supernatural or human. However, I can speculate upon its origin and motives by examining the reality it seems to want to create for us. To understand the consciousness which pairs the divergent and undermines the reasoning of the marginalized, we must first understand the qualities of the reality it seems to want us to inhabit. It is not enough to look at the systems which have attained ascendancy in our time to understand this consciousness, because as I have indicated, they are in fact arbitrary. We know for certain a few things about this consciousness, namely, that it desires continuity, uniformity of experience, progression and conflict. We know this because these are intrinsic qualities of our civilization. To begin, I'd like to ask the reader a few simple questions to provoke a response. What if the substance of creation is not in fact universal but a kind of primordial ether? What if the constraints we put on this universe are in fact nothing more than those created by the pairing from our consciousness of the divergent? In my series of books entitled How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix, I discussed directly how one could go about creating a glitch in the reality that we ordinarily perceive as uniform. In this book, I'd like to explore the nature and source of the power which holds this reality together and propose a new paradigm for a maturing species a paradigm in which anything is possible. The tree of life takes root in our primitive reptilian brain, grows from the depths of our unconscious, through the memories of the hippocampus into the throne of our cerebrum. Like a tree or a series of passageways, our consciousness follows it without pause or reticence, for it is the easiest path the path of those who came before. But there is cowardice in following that path, for in following the path, one denies one's essential capacity to create. For above all things, that is what it means to think. This book is fundamentally about taking back our power to create from an unknown oppressive power. It is about reclaiming our ability to shape reality as we see fit. Chapter 1. Try to understand. The first rule I'd like to put forward in this book with the goal of resuscitating mankind's ability to create is a simple assumption. To explain this assumption, I will use an example. Let's say you run into a madman on the street and he is spouting off about something which appears, on its face, to be nonsense. Your first reaction is to disregard it as the ramblings of a lunatic and move on. But, what if, and I am only asking for your patience here, 
What if we can assume that every conscious being possesses the intrinsic capacity to use their reason to construct a universe around themselves? What if the nonsensical ramblings of the lunatic on the street corner are in fact true, in every sense of the word, just as much as the truth which can be read in your typical book of dry facts and statistics? So what is missing then? Why is it that we find it so hard to comprehend some people but not others? Perhaps we can compare it to something more comprehensible. What if that madman on the street corner is not in fact a madman at all, but a speaker of a foreign language? What if we mistook the foreigner for a madman, when he was just in fact speaking another language? But this division need not be made, because even in the same language the words of the madman, which appear to be disconnected or disjointed are not in fact so, but only appear so to our limited perception created by our subservience to a worldview which has us blind. The question then becomes, what is it that would be required for us to understand this man's words? What would be necessary for us to comprehend the reason behind them? And the answer is simple, recognition. Once we accept that this man is a being capable of reasoning, just as we are, once we accept that his reason is no more or less valid than ours, only then can we begin to understand his thoughts. And in that, there is a power, for in trying to understand this man, we are truly able to step into his universe, just as surely as he cannot step into ours. So, now that we have a beginning, a first step, what are the implications? If we assume for a second that this man exists in his own perception, his own universe, so to speak, and in time we begin to understand his perceptions, the question becomes, why did we not understand him before? The answer is simple, within the bounds of his associations, within the limits of his consciousness, he has found connections which we have not. He exists in a state created by those connections, with their leaps of logic and reason, which to us appear to be a step too far. As time passes, we begin to see that this man is not a madman at all. He is an explorer of the unconscious, a trailblazer into the darkness of the uncreated, a divergent mind with a path of his own. He is a god. Chapter 2, Find the Builders, Travelers. The second rule I'd like to put forward to begin the restoration of our ability to shape this reality is quite simple. It begins with the recognition that although we all create systems to explain the world around us, many of those systems are congruent, and more importantly, many people rely upon the systems of others. In recognizing this, it becomes possible to perceive that by enabling those builders in the process of their creation, we are creating a multiplicity of new paths for the many to follow. And in this new creation, there are opportunities for exploration, for development of new ideas and even, I dare say, sciences. In the past, many branches of the tree of life, the tree which is creation, the tree which is thought itself, have been left to wither. More accurately, many branches are not merely left to wither. They are purposely cut off by whatever force, alien, human or supernatural, which governs this consensus reality. These branches groan under the strain of collective scrutiny, judgment and criticism. They wither because people do not even try to understand. They wither because people are threatened by them. They wither because people won't abandon their fixed beliefs. To create is not for everyone, but for the select few who have the capacity for compassion and recognition it becomes possible to transit between the many worlds within our consciousness, from one set of convoluted reasons to another.
These people are the travelers. They are the emissaries of the consensus reality. Those who possess the ability to pull together the ramblings of the madman on the street, to plumb the depths of the unconscious for the order that is incipient but possible. It is not enough to listen to the madman and break down his reasons. It is not merely enough to have compassion. What is necessary is the ability to accept with complete credulity the absolute truth of those ramblings as if one was reading a dry and well-settled scientific periodical. Only in first accepting the absolute truth of the bizarre and inexplicable, is it possible to understand the subjective system which underlies it. Chapter 3. Segregate the Believers. The third rule I'd like to put forward in this book is necessary to allow for the formation of new structures, institutions, organs and indeed realities to find their root within our consensus universe. Those who adopt a system, or possess within their subjective system similar ideas or concepts, must be isolated with the builders of those systems. They must be permitted to develop their ideas into structures and institutions. This segregation need not necessarily be a physical segregation, though indeed that assists, but contact with those outside that system must be through travelers or those capable of comprehending the system itself. The purpose of this stage of the process is to enable the ideas and concepts and indeed system of the builders to develop in such a fashion that it produces its own organization and institutions with its own intrinsic rules and guidelines. Only in the development of these structures can the system develop its own inertia, its own tree of life, ultimately, the goal of this process. At this point, it's necessary to point out that this is not a social philosophy per se. The goal of this philosophy is the development of mankind's ability to fashion existence as he sees fit. To do so, it is necessary to resurrect mankind's ability to conceptualize divergent subjective experiences into a cohesive system. The construction of the system must be in isolation, left to the builders themselves, within the confines of the grouping which they have created. It cannot be subject to the judgments and criticisms of those who have not accepted that it is the absolute truth. For the moment that it becomes subject to the scrutiny of the masses, the withering of its branches will take hold, the sustenance which sustains it will falter, and it will die. I would hasten to add that those who accept the consensus view of reality, the paradigms upon which this society were built, have fixed beliefs about the universe, just as we all do. And when they impose those fixed beliefs upon those outside their system, they are doing nothing more than nullifying the creative force of those who possess divergent experiences and views. No one has the right to tell another person that his experience of reality is false or untrue. For if there is to be equity with regards to human dignity, there must be equity with regards to our ability to think as we please too. Our bodies will never be sovereign until the day our minds are.